Hi, everyone. I'm Christina Ortez. I'm the executive director of the Taos Land Trust, and I'm joining Jim today. We're going to be using this show to highlight the work of the Taos Land Trust, which is a 30-year-old conservation organization based here in Taos, looking at the protection of land, landscapes, water, um, agricultural heritage, and economic development in the county. So today we wanted to just introduce you to the Land Trust with uh, Christine and I are going to talk here just about what the Land Trust does and give you kind of an opening on on that. Yeah, so I, I thank think, you. Yeah, thank you everyone for listening. I, we'll also talk, I think, over the course of these shows about the things that matter to us conservation-wise in our community, uh, what we can do to to improve our environment, to to focus on what is sustainable, uh, to really you know think about how we create a resilient community in Taos, where we're all working together to protect our water, our air, our land, and and highlight some of those uh, really good things that are happening in community, and you know shine a light on things that need to be changed. So you know when, as we think about this show, um, you know we're open to suggestions. You know, we'll we'll introduce ourselves now, but but uh, you know, we we encourage folks to talk to us about, but you know, what they want to hear about. Right. We'll have a quite a, a good set of guests coming up over the next few months of people who are involved in land and water conservation, mm-hmm. as well as community and regional planning across uh, the the area and in the town of Taos, um, economic development, um, watershed restoration. We've got quite a good slew of guests, but we're open for your suggestions. So please do drop me an email, um, jim at jimodonnellphotography.com, or Christina, who is Christina at Taos Land Trust. Christina with a K. Christina with a K at Um Send your suggestions to either one of us, um, and we will we'll consider that and work them on in. So, yeah. so Christina. Hi, Jim. Um, Hi. <laughs> I guess I should get full disclosure here. I am uh, the communications director for the Taos Land Trust. Um, so uh, I wanted to just first ask you, why don't you just tell us what is the Taos Land Trust? Right. The Taos Land Trust is a 30-year-old organization that uh, protects land in Taos County and in, in, in northern New Mexico. Uh, over the last 30 years, we have worked with private landowners with uh, uh, local and state and federal government to, um, to protect the places that we love. Uh, you know, what land trusts do typically is uh, uh, work with private landowners to protect their land. Uh, and we do that through this really cool tool called conservation easement. And what a conservation easement does is it, um, it restricts development. So, and, and this is all volunteer. So um, if you're a farmer or a rancher, or you just have beautiful open space, you can work with the land trust anywhere in the U.S. And there are, I don't know, 1,600, 2,000 land trusts. There are lots of them uh, all around the country. And you can protect your property forever. A conservation easement deed is set up to last forever in perpetuity. So what that does is it restricts what you can do on your property. Uh, it's still your property, but you can't do certain things. Um, and so what's the benefit to the landowner? Well, there, there are lots of benefits to the landowner. One, you know, I think the most important benefit is that you know that your land will remain 
um, as it is forever. If you're a farmer, you it will always be farmland, you know, and you can always work it as farmland or ranch land. Uh, if you have these open spaces or trails, you know that that land will stay like that forever. And what a land trust does is helps you do that. And we are beholden; we are obligated forever. We're kind of in this forever business to uh, ensure that you as the landowner is, is you're doing the thing that you need to do. Uh, so so we monitor every year. Uh, and, and so so there's a there's a there's a conservation benefit. There's this benefit that you know that your land is uh, is protected forever, regardless of, uh, you know, a change in ownership or what you, know, you pass that down. And maybe the folks you pass it down to don't have the same um mindset that you do you know you still you still have this land protected forever does that help um people who want to pass their agricultural land say on to their children is that make that easier i think it does uh you know i i think you know there's there are covenant covenants and restrictions that you know may sound onerous but really you know typically aren't you know, the conservation easement deed is something that you know that the land trust negotiates with the with the landowner and and you know we we together sort of figure out what you want to continue to do with your land. There is also though in New Mexico, and this is just such a beautiful thing that that we have done this. There is a state tax credit program that allows a landowner to you know if they're taking off development rights off your land, if you can't if you're not going to subdivide your land or build a bunch of houses or, or roads, you know that's that reduces the market value. If you're right. restricting your development. Your land just simply isn't worth as much. So New Mexico uh, and the federal government both have programs that uh, kind of take the take the bite out of that a little bit. Uh, in New Mexico, we have a state tax credit program that's saleable and transferable. So if you do this, if you put an easement on your land and you go through the process, the state will grant you a tax credit, um, which is is um, is can be worth you know a, a good chunk of money, up to two hundred fifty thousand dollars for a single person or up to $500,000 for a couple, uh, a married, a married couple. And that, and you can sell that tax credit. You might not be able to use it, uh, but you can sell it. And, and that is, is cash money. Right. right. And at the federal level, there's a tax deduction, which lasts for up to 20 years, uh, where you can deduct half of the value of the donation. So that's the value of the easement after you take the property after you take the development rights off of it and that's really great too and you don't have to use that all in one year you can spread that out over you know over several years so those are some you know ancillary benefits to putting a conservation easement on the property but you know we what, what i like to say is you know that the the economic benefits are are good and awesome but really it's it's the value of knowing that your land is protected forever that's that's how you know, that's how we're doing this. And that's, I think, why folks should do it, because they care about keeping, you know, keeping Taos Taos, really, right. you know. Or keeping per- the character of the town intact. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And how does that impact water, water on land or water rights? So if you're, if, if right. you're a landowner with a creek running through or an acequia or water rights, how does the conservation easement impact though well it protects it you know and, and it keeps the i think it's really it's it's really fascinating you know water rights are te- are typically written into the conservation easement deed so those are protected as well so if if a land has an easement on it we we really fight to keep those water rights 
on the land. On the land. So, so I, that's good for us, for the community, when when we do that, when when landowners do that, because it keeps the water rights in our community and doesn't allow them to be sold elsewhere. And that and that does happen in in lots of places, mm-hmm. you know, where you can you know you can sell land and you can sell your water right and and separate and keep them separate. And and that's not what we want here. We want to make sure that the land and the water are together. Right. And that's 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 how we will continue to do agriculture here. That's how we will continue to have water for for wildlife um, and recreation. And that's that's so critical in our high desert climate that we keep the water rights uh, connected to the land. And, you know, when land that has water is more valuable. Right. So. um, So that's helpful as well for the landowner. If you keep your water rights on your you know, on the land and you uh, put an easement on it, you know, that that just makes your your land more valuable. And conservation easements aren't the only thing Mm -hmm. that Land Trust is working on. So what are some of the other areas where Land Trust is focusing its energy? Yeah, so so I want to just back up for a second and talk about sort of the story of the easements. You know, we've worked with many landowners over the last nearly 30 years to protect over 25,000 acres of land in mostly Taos County, but also Mora and Mm -hmm. Bernalillo County. You know, we think about the, the landscapes that make Taos special, uh, Ute Mountain, uh, the pastures in El Prado. The Overlook. The Overlook. These are all projects that the Land Trust was involved in, you know, where there were some, you know, transfer. Those are private. Those are that was private land. And then it, it was protected with an easement and then got transferred to especially you know, Ute Mountain and Overlook in particular, then got transferred to um to the federal government through, you know, through uh, the Land and Water Conservation Fund. And so now they're public lands. Now so they're, they're public accessible lands. to all of us for mountain biking, hiking, climbing. For hunting. recreation and for the protection of wildlife right. and for the protection of water. Uh, you know, that that's, that, and we're really, really proud of that. That yeah. happened before before I came along. But this is, this is what land trusts also can do. Uh, so over the years... Um, 60 easements that we've worked on, uh, 25,000 acres, you know, the, you know, the, the El Prado fields in particular, those are really, really iconic views. Um, right. And, and it's, it's, it's what people, they, people stop on the side of the road, they take their photos, you know, I don't know how many incredible, um, photos we've seen over, over the years. Of, but also of those of us who live here, when, when we come back from a trip, it's always nice to go away, but it's always nice to come oh, over right? out of the horseshoe and come up over and have that view right there and have it preserved. I know. Yeah. I know. I always want to stop, but then I think about death. So I, uh, <laughs> I don't, uh, but it is beautiful. Right. And then, you know, just the, the sort of gasp of like, uh, yeah. And if, if, to me, it's uh, like uh, home. Exactly. Yeah. And that, and that's the view and that's important to us. You know, as humans, we need we need that. We need to be awed Absolutely. by the landscape. That is what makes us, you know, it makes us human and it gives us hope. Right. And, and that's, yeah, that's what we, so, so back to the, what else we do. So we do that, right? Protect the viewsheds and the landscapes. Uh, but we also, over the last four years or so, uh, have done a lot of work uh, to listen to what community needs um, the community needs and, and you know, listen to the priorities of, of what Tausanios want. And they're, um, and it was pretty, it's been pretty clear that Tausanios care about their water. They, they care about the land that the water is connected to. They care about wildlife and they care about recreational opportunities. And so 
what we did over the last couple of years is uh, have worked on some pretty serious uh, community conservation and trails plans and have figured out what places people want to protect. And so we're, um, we're working to protect those places. So um, give me an example of that. To use the trails plan, I think, is, is perhaps an example. Yeah, it's it's really interesting what, what has come out of the trails plan. You know, we, we worked with um, with hundreds of people over, uh, since 2015 uh, and, and – in partnership with lots of other folks, uh, Carl Colonius and Chance Circle Trail Association, uh, Rocky Mountain Youth Corps, lots of lots of folks, UNM Taos, the Upward Bound Program, and we identify trails that um, that people would like to see, and they're mostly connector trails. And while we were doing that, we also did a lot of research with other partners. The Trust for Public Land is really you know led this process. We were the local partner. Um, Headwaters Economics to really sort of to understand the differences to between our different communities and what their needs are and and there are differences, um, you know. So so what we've decided to do with the Taos Land Trust is that we're really focusing on in town pathways and connectors uh, because we know that um, the research shows that if people are within ten minutes of a trail or a path that they're much more likely to use it. You know, outside of ten minutes, if you're ten minutes away from a trail or a path, you're just you're just not going to use it typically. Right. There's studies that have, that have shown that. Yeah. Right? And then when people use those paths, there's health benefits and absolutely all of that, that health, comes with that. You know, mental health benefits, right. physical health benefits, but also I think if you're out we know that if you're out and walking in nature, you are, you know, you're getting all this, you're getting all this good stuff happening to your body, right? And your in your mind, but you're also more likely to sign a petition, you know, come to a hearing, you know, protect the places that you love. So, so there's, you know, there is sort of a selfish <laughs> act right. here in that we want people to be out and be on right. the trails, be on the pathways, you know, fight for better infrastructure so that we create a healthy community. Because then they have a stake in that piece of land or a stake in that trail or sidewalk. Absolutely. Right. And and connecting people to the places they love and the places they go to, you know, uh, that's important. And we need a unified front there, right. working together to improve the sidewalks, make more sidewalks, you know, put in more bike paths. You know, we, we just did... Um, and I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, and I know that Maya Anthony will be on here uh, in a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. We uh, and she'll talk more about the walkability study and the audit that we did in as part of the Strong at Heart work. But that was so revelatory. You know, we we had lots of folks come out and, and people talked about how hard it is to walk in this community. And that's, and, and I think that there's a role for us right. there. The, the walkability study, um, that was a couple of weeks ago, just for anybody who didn't participate in that, was several different groups of local citizens went out and took a, a, a detailed, slow, detailed walk through several different areas of the community looking at um, bike issues of bike access and crosswalks, markings, um, uh, the ability to move about in right. the downtown area. And... Um, as most people, anybody who gets out of their car in this town knows, we we have some issues with uh, with walkability and bikeability in in the town. Yeah, yeah. I walked from uh, the hub, which is uh, where the Paseo project is housed on Civic Plaza Drive, uh, to Enos and back. And I was uh, I was walking with a, a number of folks, uh, including our our newest town council person, Pascualito Maestas, and. Uh, 
And it was it was fascinating. You know, we, mm. we took a lot of photos of um, there was one photo in particular right in front of Enos that said, like, uh, you know, stop for pedestrians in crosswalk. And Pascualito was holding uh, a sign that says, where is the crosswalk? Like, there's there, no crosswalk? There is no crosswalk where it says to watch for right. the pedestrians in the crosswalk right in front of the school. Um, and. And uh, it was it was a little it was just shocking to me. You know, there are kids that walk home from school and uh, they're not doing it in a safe way. Right. So what can we do? And it's a matter of priorities. Right. And town council I would love to fix all this. I know they would. But there are other things that the town council right. needs to do and their their budgets and all that. And, you know, as I learned and I'm sure you learned this, too, when you were in in your planning program. And what I learned in grad school was that budgets public budgets, you know, town, county, state budgets reflect the priorities of the community, right? And so, and, and they, they need to know, our elected leaders need to know what the priorities of the the community are. are. And that, and that will affect the budgets, right? Right. You know, so building, building awareness around how we can, um, bring people to the table and how the voices of our community had has a direct impact on how we spend our money right that's right. that's very powerful yeah. so so i think this walk this walkability audit and and some in the work we're doing around that i think just sort of reflects that and highlights the need for that uh, and so you know a steady drumbeat is what we need yeah. yeah so one other thing i want to talk about before we get to a sponsor break here is Rio Fernando Park. So there's conservation easements, there's town and regional planning issues that the land trust is involved in. And then there's this little thing, Rio Fernando Park. We'll talk more about that in depth, you know, over the coming weeks, but why don't you give us just a little overview of that? Oh, yeah. She's lovely. (laughs) She's lovely. So um, in December of 2015, the Taos Land Trust, thanks to a uh, very generous donation, uh, uh, purchased purchased the park and um it it just it was 20 acres of fallow mostly fallow land with uh seven acres of wetland the rio fernando running through it right next to fred baca park uh off la posta so down the road from the the high school and over the last oh three years this is Mm -hmm. crazy Uh, nearly three years two and a half years uh we have um worked to develop a community conservation plan for that property, which we did in in the first year. We moved into the house on that property, so did did a lot of work, and and that was also helped by lots of donations to to convert the house there, the old adobe home, which many, many people in town have lived in, including our council member Evans, uh, former police chief David Weaver. Lots of people lived in that house and really enjoyed that house. Um, So we uh, worked with contractors and converted that to a commercial property. So we moved in there into that place uh, last summer, last spring. Uh, and this past summer in 2017, uh, we got a pretty remarkable um, grant that from the National um, Recreation Parks Association uh, to um, do a master plan and to restore the wetland and the acequia on, on that property with the intention of making that property a public park. You're here with Jim O'Donnell and Christine Ortez from the Taos Land Trust. Hi. And this is the first of our bi-weekly radio program discussing 
water conservation, land, and planning here in northern planning. New Mexico. So planning. exciting. <laughs> it is planning. It's, it. it's exciting and it's important. So it is, we'll, it is, we'll it make is. it sound more exciting it's than sexy. Uh, than, it, it is sexy. It's extremely <laughs> sexy. So speaking of planning, yeah. this is Christine Ortez, the executive director of the Taos Land Trust. And uh, we were just talking about Rio Fernando Park, which is a 20-acre parcel of land that the Taos Land Trust purchased um, next to Fred Baca Park in 2015 and is currently working on a, uh, a master plan for that piece of land. So let's, let's dive back into that. And this has been a year-long process. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the plan should be out sometime this fall. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, what are we looking at? What, th- there's been numerous community events and uh, discussion groups around what to do with this piece of land and how to open it to the public how to manage it, and what we want it to look like. So where, where are we? We're, uh, we're almost done with the outreach, which, I mean, I, I sort of, that's kind of laughable to me because I think the outreach goes on forever. And the, the way we're thinking about this place, this special, special space for us, is, is how it will continue to serve the community. And so what we're doing now is we're learning about what the community needs and, and how this piece of land can fit those community needs. We know that the community needs to protect its water, right? So this parcel, which has seven acres of wetlands, the Rio Fernando coming through it, fed by springs. Uh, there is an acequia that is attached to this, the Vigili Romo acequia, which has been dormant for 45 years, 50 years. Mm-hmm. We, we, I mean, it's, it's just, it's hard to tell, but definitely, you know, at least four decades. No, no water has come down that. And what we are doing now is working in collaboration with some, you know, really incredible people to bring an acequia back to life, uh, which is, uh, you know, wait, I don't know. I I don't know how to do it, but we're doing it. We're figuring it out. Working with Fritz Hahn at the town, who's just so passionate about acequias and I've learned so much from, and that's been, that's been a really exciting process. We're working with our other parciantes, it'd be Medina. Uh, we just had a, a, an incredible, um, meeting, Parciante meeting and a neighbor meeting uh, yesterday at the property at Rio Fernando Park. Uh, so we had brought all of our neighbors and people who would be affected by the acequia uh, returning, you know, having water down it uh, and, and made some big decisions about how, what we can do to repair um, the headgate and, and, and do some um, work on the river to uh, to bring water down for agriculture, but to also keep water for for habitat and for the fish that do exist in the Rio Fernando. Right, there are fish. There, in there are fish in there. There are trout in there. So um, and others. So I think about this this park, and I think about all the opportunities: the the water, the wetland, connecting people to that. People in Taos being able to, and you can do it now at Fred Baca, but I, I you know, we, but the wetland is degraded, and so what can we do? How can we make this wetland uh, bring that back to life um, and connect people to it so they can see where what you know where, where the water comes from? And, and you know, people used to fish in that river, so you know, when how can we do that, right? But then there's this 13 acres of fallow agricultural land, which, which hasn't been farmed in, you know, know, as long as the Aseki has been been broken. Right. And so that's, that is also really important to Telsenios, our agricultural heritage and uh, bringing the water back down the Aseki will allow us to see how the water moves on the land. It will 
allow us to do agriculture. We don't really know what scale of agriculture we're going to do. You know, it, it could be community gardens. It could be community gardens and some demonstration projects. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe we'll grow quinoa. You know, maybe we'll grow hops. That's my dream. <laughs> you know, we're sitting here. We're sitting here at KNCE right next to the brewery. It's not I, noon yet. But. It's not noon yet. I wish it were. But I, I could see us growing a special, you know, special hops for a special beer, Rio Fernando right. Pale Ale. That's my like, you know, that's my dream. But we could do things like that. And, and, and I think, you know, and, and importantly, we can show how, um, how, while it takes some time and it takes a lot of effort and it takes a lot of collaboration and, you know, that collaboration is not easy. Collaboration isn't like all that's rainbow, rainbows and unicorns, right? And glitter, which that's, I have two daughters, so that's what my life is like. It's hard. And it's, it requires vulnerability and openness and willingness to change your mind. But what are some of the challenges? When, Those when are the challenges. That, <laughs> when, when you say that, that it, that it requires some open mind, why, why is that? What, what's coming in? Well, you know, I think that we all, everybody has different ideas about what is right for this community. Mm-hmm. And to move forward and, and to, to create something that meets the needs of all of our constituents, we need to put those ideas on the table and we need to sort them out and we need to think about what's possible given the resources we have. We have to think about where we are with where we are with the snowpack, (laughs) what water looks like here. What does that mean for us? Mm -hmm. What is it, you know, what does it mean living in a, in a desert community, you know, we have to make some tough choices. Right, exactly. And with climate change happening and this, this winter and spring is a, potential taste of what that right. that is going to look like for right. us in the future. Um, is the, are we taking that into account? How are we taking that into account as we plan for this piece of land? Yeah, well, we have to, That that's right where, you know, we're working with experts to figure that out. And I will tell you that, you know, the, the collaborative process to build this park is very real, right? We, you know, we could just slap a few trails on this land and call it a park. We could do that, right? And it would be it would be awesome. And people would love it. And people would love it, right? Um, but we really, we we have this incredible opportunity to work with solid, solid partners that, that are not just conservationists, right? We are working with folks like Sienna Sanderson to understand equity issues around this park. How can we uh, meet the needs of the immigrant community, which is sizable in Taos, 23% of Taos County. And that's that's really important to us. What are their needs? Uh, and And how can, you know, how can we... Uh, make a place that makes everybody feel comfortable, right? So, so that's that's really really important to us. Um, you know, it, there will be trails. There will be you know trails that connect to Fred Baca Park, and hopefully trails that connect to you know eventually to the high school and to Enos Garcia. That would that's I, that's that's the goal here. There will be a revitalized acequia, and 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 folks who will um, be working that ditch and bringing water down. There will be agriculture again, uh, which is really, we are losing agricultural lands at a pace that's, that's just really, really sad, you know, and, and, and a huge part of that is that, you know, our, uh, legacy Hispano, uh, communities are, are, you know, they're getting older, um, and not farming as much and, and land. So that's happening, but land is also very expensive. So while we have people moving into community who are really excited about farming, 
who can afford you know fifty thousand dollars right. an acre in Seco? It's very you hard know? to be a farmer. It is very it hard is, to be a farmer. Um, there are very very few crops that you can grow that will make your money back right. in, in that way. Uh, and so and most people don't do it full time. Uh, so it, it, but but we still need we need farming. Or we need food security. Right. We need to grow our things locally. We we need to. That is resilience. Right. That's resiliency in community. And the wetland, as yeah. part of resilience, wetlands hold water. They filter water. They recharge the aquifer. And in a high desert community such as ours, our wetlands, be them high in elevation or down here, are another piece of that resiliency. And so to, to, to have this seven-acre wetland to... Right. To get it back functioning again right. as a functioning ecological system is another piece of building that resiliency in our community. And that's, you know, and the only way we're going to do this is by working together. You know, I, I say this often, like, we are in it together, all of us. You know, so the the steering committee we have for Rio Fernando Park and is all, you know, open to others as well. Folks from the town, Amigos Bravos, uh, Dream Tree, uh, uh, you know, our, our landscape architects, of course, um, you know, some funders, you know, we, we have lots of people in the room trying to, you know, we're trying to come up with the best designs for this park. But I want to tell one more thing, you know, yeah, we love the water. We, lo- we want the land. We want food security, wetlands, habitat, all that. But you have two kids. I have two kids. These kids love to play and I love this place for the play right. that comes from it. The creativity that comes from, you know, from these kids, lots of kids who run around and show me something new every day. Yeah, absolutely. And that there is something about that that, you know, I became an environmentalist through sort of like you know, actions and really sort of serious fights about protecting land, but I <laughs> I stayed an environmentalist because I love to play. I, that's what, right? that's why I'm mean, right. And, <laughs> and, and yeah. it is really fun. And yeah. so seeing that, seeing like that excitement and connection to place and to land and to downed trees and pretty dirty water on, you know, at Rio Fernando park, we're trying to clean it up. Um, and that water's like a magnet. To there, the it, is. it is. And you know, uh, don't go in it, but you know, it's it. There's it does something to the spirit, and and that I feel like that's that's what I want this park to be. All the things you know, we want the river, the wetland, the land, but we want fun, and we want to pe- have a place where people can come and play. This is Jim O'Donnell, and I'm here with Christina Ortez, the executive director of Taos Land Trust, and this is the first of uh, the Taos Land Trust's biweekly show about land, water, and community in northern New Mexico. Christina, so you mentioned that one of the things that got you into the environmental work that you've done is playing in nature, playing outdoors. So how long have you been executive director of the Land Trust? Uh, Since April 2014, um, two months after I had my second child. So I sort of feel a little bit like, and people have heard this before, that, you know, the... (laughs) I was raising, sort of raising two kids, uh, two new kids, raising three kids. So it's it's been it's been a while. Uh, it's been a while now, four years, and uh, there have been lots of changes. So at that point, the land trust uh, I came on, um, there hadn't been an ED for about uh, nine months or so. Uh, no, the office had been closed, and and we, um, the board 
brought me on and we worked really, really hard to figure out what the next phase was for the land trust. And it, it took some time. It yeah. took some time. Um, but we, we had some really incredible partners and, and supporters, uh, including the Lore Foundation. And I, you know, I have to give a shout out to Jake Caldwell because we, I, I feel like we kind of rebuilt this, this uh, organization together. He, he and I spent a lot of time talking about what we can do and, and planning. How'd you find your way into the position? How'd you, how'd you, how'd you land here? Well, I mean, this is a very personal question, but I'm going <laughs> to answer it. Uh, I applied for uh, the executive director job in 2012, mm-hmm. maybe 2012. Is that right? I think. Yeah. And I didn't get it. And Dang. and uh, I was <laughs> devastated. <laughs> I was devastated. I'd been working uh, at the Sierra Club for uh, a number of years at that point, And I knew that this was what I wanted to do work locally and do this kind of work, um, which was, which, which was a challenge because I'd been work I'd been an organizer with the Sierra club and a, a sort of a policy advocate. So this is not that, but this is now that. Right. So, so that's pretty exciting. Yeah. So like a two, two years later, a year and a half later, I, I got a call asking if I were, if I was interested. Oh, it wasn't another open application process. It wasn't, no. Okay. Mm-mm. All right. Yeah, so that's, well, and going back to this piece about you playing out in nature and, and the yeah. kids playing in nature, so what were some of the experiences that prepared you to be the executive director of an organization like this? I, I think the thing that's prepared me the most is actually just having kids and having to right. manage so many, so many different ideas so quickly. Like they, they, they're just like changing their minds constantly. So, <laughs> I, you know, and, and having to like... collaboration. Yeah, so like having to, um, you know, manage, like, I, I'm not suggesting that a nonprofit is like an unruly non, uh, toddler. That's not what I'm suggesting. Maybe it has felt like that in, at times, but, you know, in general, there there is something that happens, you know, when you're a nonprofit ED, you know, there, there are lots of fires that come up, right? right. And so you're, you know, constantly putting out fires. And that's, you know, I, I think that, that parenthood has definitely prepared me for that. But I've been working in the nonprofit field for now about 16 years. So I think all the various jobs I've had, you know, I was, I did communications for a while. I was a lobbyist for a while um, on wilderness issues. I was an organizer. All of those things really helped me, you know, think about how an organization is run and all, all the things that you have to do to keep things going. And that's, um, that's what's helped really. This is Jim O'Donnell and I'm here with Christina Ortez, uh, the executive director of the Taos Land Trust. We're here at KNCE Taos Radio uh, and we're here talking about land, community and water in northern New Mexico. And, and giggling. And giggling, giggling at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you didn't hear that. Yeah, we're, may we're, we're working our way through um, learning how to do this and learning boards <laughs> and learning all these flashing lights that are coming up uh, everywhere and it's... Uh, it's a little overwhelming, and hopefully to, to start. not getting dinged by the FCC. Yeah, we, so, we want to. We're going to steer clear of the FCC. That's our hope, right? Exactly. <laughs> that's a whole different fundraising campaign, isn't it? We get a big fine. <laughs> we get a big fine. We'll come back on for a fundraiser, and yeah, <laughs> Howie's in the corner looking uncomfortable. He's cringing. <laughs> um, so, Christina, the, I also wanted to know: is you know, for a long time, for <laughs> Decades and decades and decades, um, environmental groups have been headed by white men. 
Oh, and yeah, you that. are you are not a white man. I am decidedly you not are, that. You are definitely not that. I can. I'm sitting here in you front of you, and I know you, and I can see that. Yeah. And so I wanted to talk about what what you bring to the land trust and to the head of environmental organization as a Hispanic woman. Oh, well, you know, perspective. I think that's I think that's what I bring. It's a different voice. And I, I don't bring just my voice, right? I bring the voices of my family and my, you know, my forebears, my community, and, and other communities of color. I think that we have, things are changing, things are getting better. The mainstream environmental organizations have worked really hard, many of them, not all of them, many of them have worked really, really hard to figure out how to bring in other voices, right? Um, sometimes it's really clunky and uh, sometimes they they haven't been ready for it. So it, it's been a challenge, but I will say like, you know, never before have we had so many people of color in decision-making positions at, um, at, and, at environmental organizations across the country, you know, national and, and, and state and local. Uh, so I started, I started my career in 2003 when I decided to come back from Indonesia. I'd been there for nearly two, over two years um, and really sort of had this fire in my belly to come back into community and, and to do, I sort of finally figured out what I wanted to do with my life and I wanted to be an environmental activist and I didn't know how to get that started at all, but I knew that that um, there was a place for me somewhere. So so I, I, I did that and I kind of worked my way through different, you know, local organizations and then I, um, I got a job with them. Um, the campaign for America's wilderness as a lobbyist in DC. That was after a couple of years of doing organizing work in the central Valley of California, which is where I'm from a small town called Madera near Fresno. Uh, I, I think lands that's, that's a land The central Valley is, is a place I really love, but I feel like we've really sacrificed it, Yeah, you know, to, to big ag. And it, it was a place that was swampy and filled with big beasts and, and water. And that's, that's just not the case anymore. And, that did something to me, right? Um, and it's uh, it made me realize that we we can't uh, we can't treat our lands and water the way we have been treating them. So, so you know, sort of back to this equity issue. You know, I I think about what what drives me is um, lots of things, but you know, my children, of course, and and them growing up in a place where where they you know I don't want them to be questioned, you know, for for their their beliefs, you know, um, or their envi- environmental bona fides, you know, I, I, I don't want people to say like, oh, well, that's interesting that you're, you know, a person of color and you're really interested in the environment. Like, that's just stupid. Because <laughs> we know that, you know, like, it, there aren't very many people in positions of power running, you know, people of color running these organizations. But the polling shows that people of color, Latinos in particular, care about the protection of public lands Mm -hmm. and water and clean air and, you know, regulations for those things at a higher rate than Anglos. And 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 that's that's kind of shocking. And that has been the case for decades. Right. It's not new. And why do you think that is? Why do you think that Latinos care about it more? Yeah. Well, I think they're connected with it. Mm -hmm. I think they're they're connected to the land. I think that there, that's something that that um, they may not recreate on the land, but they do, mm-hmm. and they do in in in, in high numbers. Right. But people don't see it. 
right? And and uh, and people don't talk about it very much. They are now, but that wasn't something that people talked about. You know, is it that there's a you know a legacy of you know of of being in the fields? Probably, right? So they're they're right there on the front lines. My grandmother was a farm worker until so the, she was like sixty five. Right. And so there's <laughs> so are you saying that there's potentially a, an issue of environmental justice here and envi- and and access justice always to um, yeah. that that is heightened among Latino community as opposed to the, the the dominant white community in this country. Right. And so because it's in their face. Maybe they're thinking about it more and valuing valuing it more. Yeah, yeah, all, all, yeah, all the polling. There's been a ton of polling done around this. You know, lots of nonprofits have have done. You know, have spent considerable amounts of money to do polling, and it shows that Latinos care about wilderness. They care about public lands. They care about the protection of rivers and the protection of clean air at much higher levels. You know, at, in, at the like 85, 90% of Latinos polled care about these things and will fight for them. So so that's something that gives me drive, right? And I, and I think about uh, my grandmother who worked in the fields until like all of her life, all of her life until she was 65 and she retired from the fields and she worked at a convalescent home for another like, you know, five years or so, but was right there, you know, was sprayed with pesticides, worked with, you know, worked with poisons every day, picking grapes. And in the summers she would take my mom and my mom's brothers and sister to Hollister, which is like two hours away. And they would, they'd be on vacation for the summer and they would pick Peaches and other stone fruit, nectarines, plums, and and it was it was like a break because right. it, it was, was easier. It was thirty degrees cooler, cooler. <laughs> right? Um, but there, you know, that's a connection to the land that I, you know, it took me a while to kind of turn that into activism for me. I didn't really think about it, and I will tell you, I went camping once when I was a kid. I went fishing a handful of times. It wasn't. It just wasn't part of our makeup, right? It wasn't something we did not recreate on the land. The land was hard. It was, it represented hard work and sweat, you know, bite like black widows biting you, you know, uh, it just, it wasn't fun. Yeah. Right. But, and so that different perspective that you're bringing is, is, um, not just the the perspective that you're bringing to environmentalism and conservation is not just uh, say wilderness areas or national monuments, but it is this though very important. Yeah, though very very important, absolutely. And yep. you, you know my history. And we love them. I know your history because your history is actually lands. mine too. Like, yeah. We share this history. Yeah, we do. We do. We've worked on public lands uh, issues for together a long time. without even knowing together. it. I was in D.C. and you were here, and yeah, you didn't even right. know who I was, but I knew who you were. <laughs> I did. It's, it's a little bit creepy. Sorry. Yeah, that is a little creepy, <laughs> stalker. Um, but um, but yeah. So but but it's expanding that view to 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 right. talk about issues of access and pesticides, um, environmental right. justice. So. And and that is all part of this other stuff, which is, you know, caring about the places that you are, caring about the lands that you live on and the, the, the rivers you depend on for your, you know, for your drinking water and for your fields and doing the right thing and working in community to, you know, show all of us that we all care about it, right? And so right. not one not one group of people is making a decision, that there are these other factors involved. And I think that's what, that's the perspective I hope that I can bring. And I, and I spend a lot of time uh, thinking about how we can build this next generation of activists. And w- what I see right now is really heartening. You know, I see 
lots of young people of color working, you know, arm in arm with with, you know, the Anglo community and 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 making policy changes. You know, we see it with the Parkland students where we see it on environmental fronts all over the country. And that makes me feel like, OK, you know, you know, that's this things are changing. Yeah. yeah. And speaking of youth, um, because we're, we're getting near the end here. Yeah. Um, talk a little bit about the, uh, the Youth Conservation Corps kids that are going to be helping us out this summer. Oh, man, this is so exciting. This starts tomorrow. Yeah. We, have, we have two crew leaders uh, now, Olivia and Brandon, and we and, who are both local and who live very, very close, grew up very close to Rio Fernando Park. So it's very exciting that they're, they're, um, they're crew leaders for uh, 18, I think, maybe 20. It's, I think it's a little unclear. Young people from mostly Taos who will be working on, at the Rio Fernando Park this summer, all summer, uh, on the acequia and on the wetland, well, they'll be digging out this ditch and making it work. And uh, it's just, it's just so. Th- this, these are jobs, right? You right. Know? Conservation is Conservation, creating jobs right is. here in town, it which I, I, I love that. I love that. Yeah. Um, so, also talk about the staff a little bit. Um, oh, we have yeah. uh, incredible staff. We have an incredible team. We do, we do, and it's 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 getting better every day. Um, I'm the executive director. Juniper Manley is our associate director, and she's she's doing project work on uh, on the Rio Fernando Park, uh, bringing in all these uh, voices and and working with with our consultants and experts to build this park. Uh, she also does a lot of fundraising. Uh, we've got you, Jim. We're excited about the work that you're doing with us and more work that we can do together. Uh, Michelle Heinrich is our uh, operations director and is just so just top notch. Maya Anthony uh, runs our outreach and programs and, and is leading this walkability work. And she is she's you know from this community and is in just in, incredible. Um, and it's really uh, it's, it's wonderful to work with her. And Ben Wright is our newest staff member who is coordinating the interns and the the YCC crews on the land. Uh, He is also an arborist and he did a lot of work on the property to get it ready for us to, you know, actually just have people on there. There were lots of dead trees and and he has worked with young people to create a vegetation plan and a tree plan and will continue to consult with us, you know, after, after the summer on, on that work. So we've got a strong team of people, uh, working together really and our board, uh, which you know has has had uh, has had to deal with lots of changes, and they are you know they're just they're solid, they're really really solid, and and that makes me um, really that makes me feel really good. You know, together you know we work with incredible volunteers who monitor properties, and our supporters who have stuck with us, who have um, donated time and money. Uh, and that is how we make things happen is, you know, nonprofits need cash. We need grants, but we also employ people. So that's something that we, you know, we need to think about that, that cycle and, and how that, that all works together. What are, what are some of the needs that the land trust has right now moving forward with all these different projects? Right. We, we really need community input. Uh, for for this park, so you know, stay tuned for lots of opportunities. There are a couple more opportunities this summer uh, to come onto the land and uh, give your input. Um, we need volunteers to monitor uh, the easements that we hold. We you know we we will be doing that this summer. There'll be an upcoming uh, monitoring uh, training. Uh, we of course need support. We need financial support from <laughs> listeners like you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I may have taken the, that from somewhere. You may have heard that before. I may have heard that before. Yeah, and people can find us uh, on our website, which is www.taoslandtrust.org. Okay. Um, we have a regular blog there. Um, we're also on Facebook and Twitter, Instagram, and we've got a great guy, young guy named Diego. Uh, oh, Diego just joined us too. Diego just joined us too, and he uh, he is going to be setting us up with a YouTube channel That's and. Exciting. All kinds of exciting stuff. So there's there's lots of places to find us. And we're going to be here every other Thursday morning from 9 to 10 right. here on KNCE. I'm turning the tables next time. You're you're going to get, you're going to be the focus of lots of questions. Okay, you got to learn to run the boards first. Oh. All right. <laughs> so this has been Jim O'Donnell and Christine Ortez of the Taos Land Trust. And uh, we hope you can join us in two weeks for uh, another discussion about land, water, and community in northern New Mexico.